Welcome on in. It's the Super Sunday Night Edition of Heat Wave Sports right here on Fox Sports Radio Las Vegas. 98.9 FM, 1340 AM. Tim Munglesby and Ryan with you here in Las Vegas, Nevada. My co-host, as always, over in New York from TomBartonSports.com. Mr. Tom Barton, we are going to take you, just like the, the intro says, we're going to take you around the world of sports in this two-hour edition and get you ready for the next week. Yes, we're going to talk some Major League Baseball. Yes, we're going to talk some NFL football. We'll see what else we can bring up in the world of sports. But, Tommy, first of all, uh, you were the solo guy last night. You and Ryan carried the show very well, as as I knew you would. But uh, some good topics last night, sir. Yeah, absolutely. I'm very impressed with Ryan, like I said to you. We, we ran pretty well. Um, good interactive show. A lot of people jumped on board, Tim. A lot of people uh, wanted to be a part of the show. Um, it, it was funny because I started the show with the, the breaking news about Bryce Harper. And, you know, right before we got on the show, it was announced that he had officially fractured his thumb. He was going to be out you know, indefinitely. So I got into a lot of conversation about trade talk and whatnot. But we, we had a lot of interaction on Twitter. People saying, eh, you know, I, I want to hear about the hockey. And then the same people, Tim, that were asking about hockey were writing me about baseball because it it, it is a – such an engrossing situation when you start to talk about the trade deadline. Look, it's August 2nd. We have over a month, but that month goes pretty quick. And for a team like the Philadelphia Phillies, who were in such desperate straits, you know, we don't know. We don't know if they're going to be buyers or they sellers. I got to get into it with you tonight. I really want to talk to you about um, some of this stuff here, Tim, because the trade deadline gets so entertaining. It's such great sports talk. It really is. And the reality, though, Tim, I got to tell you, you look at this and you just say, uh, I wonder what these teams are going to do. It's a giant seller's market. So we did get into that. And um, I think I think I was kind of dead on on game six, Tim. You know, yeah. I said it before the series. I said it before the season. I said it before the playoffs. I said it before last night's game. I said it and said it and said it. And that was, you're not going to beat Vasilevsky in a go-out game. You're just not going to beat him. Even though Tampa Bay is going home today, Tim, and, and they, they – Ended their dynasty and avalanche. Congratulations for Stanley Cup winners. They didn't beat Vasilevsky. This is the kind of game that I thought was going to happen. We have to have Ryan find the Stanley Cup playoff preview show where I predicted Colorado to knock off Tampa Bay to win the Stanley Cup. Yeah, I know. I didn't go out on a ledge here, Tommy, by saying the avalanche were going to win. They were the best team, I thought, all season. But I picked them. I picked the two teams, Tommy, and I did say I thought Colorado was just – the younger version of what Tampa had a nice little run here where they would knock off the veterans. And look, it is what it is. So congrats to the Colorado Avalanche. Their third Stanley Cup, their first since 2001. But they get it done tonight in an old-fashioned hockey game, Tommy, 2-1. to one, And you were right. It wasn't about, you know, the goaltending battle was the key coming into the series, I thought. Like, we knew what Vasilevsky was made of, back-to-back champion, Vazina uh, won't a trophy winner MVP. We knew all the accolades and we knew what he was going to bring to the table, even though he got shredded in game one. He was money after that. It was Darcy Kemper who ended up being uh, the better goalie tonight, Tommy, in a, in a must win situation because we all knew they didn't want to go back, even though it would have been in Colorado. They did not want to have that pressure going back for a game seven, like you said. But I thought the guy who last year. Uh, told the pipes for the the Arizona Coyotes, Tommy. Think about that. He was on one of the worst teams in the league. He gets an opportunity to sign with Colorado in the offseason. He does, and now he gets to hoist the Stanley Cup. 
yeah, really, really cool when you when you think about you know the the road that it took. And I like the story. You know, that's what I like. I like the story of what is going on in, in Colorado to get to this point. And I briefly touched on it last night. I spoke about this on my sports garden show. Want to bet weekend edition this morning to get to this point, the Colorado avalanche almost needed this. When you talk about the failures that come year after year after year and their playoff problems and all of the, the issues that they've had in the playoffs to go out there and to beat a, a regular team, to go out there and beat the Florida Panthers. It, look, the President's Cup trophy uh, wouldn't have meant the same. To go out there and, and even take down the Rangers, even with Igor as good as that was, it wouldn't have been the same juice. There's there's a little extra juice in this win for them. And it seems like this is the sports gods telling us, all of your failures, you had to go into Vasilevsky's house Take on Vasilevsky, take on Cooper, take on Stamkos, be down one nothing in their house. All the pressure on you, and, and take down the national or, or the defending two-time champions. That's what you had to do. And I called it yesterday, ripping the Stanley Cup out of their hand. You know, that's what I called it, ripping the Stanley Cup away from them. That's what they needed to do. And sports is so beautiful like that when it it does happen. Look, a win is a win is a win, and no matter who the Avalanche would have beaten, I don't think they really would have cared. Uh, you know. But as the story for a fan's sake goes, isn't it great to look at the way that they took this down and how the path that they had to get there to, to do it? Yeah, no doubt about it. We, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to say that the the Western Conference wasn't up to par to the Eastern Conference because you remember when we broke down right at the beginning, you you thought that six of eight teams in the East could have an opportunity to win the Stanley Cup. Not not just get to the Stanley Cup final, but win the Stanley Cup. And the West, we kind of narrowed it down to, well, it could be Colorado. Is it Calgary? Or does Edmonton kind of squeeze through there? Right? There were, the options were very, very limited when you talked about it. So I think as we saw Colorado kind of steamroll through the playoffs and, the, you know, essentially coming into the, the Stanley Cup final, it was – well, they've, they've dominated through this, this playoffs. Tampa's seven-game series left and right. And they've, you know, older team, uh, maybe they're worn down. And then they just absolutely demolish them in game one. You know, the way we looked at it was, well, this is kind of playing out the way it did. But just, look, it's, it's, it's the franchise, two-time defending champions, uh, an absolute stud in the goal and a, and a head coach who still will not get credit for the, for having a great season here. All that played into it. And, and you knew it as well as I did that when they won in Colorado in game five, it was like, Oh, we, we could really be seeing an issue here. And if had they lost this series, Tom, that would have been, I think far worse than, than many, I, I wouldn't even say collapse. It wasn't a dramatic collapse. It was something that you could actually see happening game by game. If they would have won tonight, I would have been with you, plus money on Tampa in game seven, and they would have won the series. Yeah, absolutely. And even tonight, you know, that's, uh, when we talked about it, what did I tell you? You said, you know, what What are you betting tonight? I said, Tim, you got to go Tampa and the under. I don't think I'm going to get hurt if I go Tampa and the under, because Tampa was plus money. You could win both. It was just no way that Vasilevsky was going to let them, you know, go out there and just dominate him. That wasn't happening. So in game seven, I would have done the same thing. And I think that we would have had, you know, the same sort of result. I think um, it would have been 
uh, 2-1, 1-0, something like that. What's interesting about this series, Tim, is that you can see how the Tampa Bay Lightning adjusted to the Colorado Avalanche, and they adjusted to the speed. The first before the began the series began, we sat here and I said, "I'm taking the under in every single series. I'm taking the the under. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm taking the over in every single game in this series." After what I just did, and you started to see the game go. Well, first game was over, second game was over, third game was over, but you start to see it look a little bit different right around game three. And you say, "Ah, you know what? It might be over. This it, it might get it over again, but I'm not going to bet to see it." And that's what I stopped doing. And now it ends off with three unders. You said in old school hockey. Once again, give Colorado full credit. Not only did they win in Tampa Bay's house, they also won Tampa Bay style. They beat Tampa Bay with their own style. There's something for that, Tim. You know, I was rooting for Tampa Bay, admittedly. I had money on Tampa Bay. I'm doing nothing but tipping my cap today and sitting back and I'm saying, man, just what a great job for the avalanche and when you look in hindsight and kind of take yourself out of the betting situation i love the symmetry of what they had to do i really like i like the way if they would have won up a one six one tonight it would have still been a stanley cup championship but i like the way they had to adjust their style you want to be champions play both styles let's see you win a 7-0 game in game two to take control of the series and let's see you win a 2-1 game at the end I mean, they're champions through and through. And I know that Vegas probably can't stand the fact that we're talking about this. And the Vegas fans, you know, they don't have any uh, love loss for Colorado. But you gotta, you got to really just champion this effort. It really was fantastic. Oh, I'm sure there's a lot of upset people in Vegas, Tommy. You know, that for, for uh, a lot of reasons. But really, we watched – I thought Colorado last couple years were right on the cusp of – of this and for whatever reason injuries a uh, big factor stunted this this path but it seemed like everything went correct this year for them everything was all the issues that normal you know even look at just injury games lost uh, vegas this year was a perfect example a lot of injury games lost but you know, colorado seemed to just roll with the punches when it when it hit them and you know they were out they were without mckinnon for for some time they were out with lang scott for some time and they did what they had to do, and yeah, I'm with you. I thought either way, either team, what I would have been happy. I was happy with the way the series was, and um, hats off, you know. And I look at it more like, what does this mean for the future, Tom? Because it's not like you know, I know McKinnon's. There's a, a contract situation coming up here, but past him, and that's a big past. But they are loaded for the future too. So think about that. You mentioned McKinnon. I, I talked about him last night. It's so funny, again, how the hockey gods are. I talked about him last night. Nate McKinnon had cashed in every single shots on goal over in the series, it seemed like, right? I mean, he, he was just peppering the net with shot after shot after shot after shot. He could not figure out Vasilevsky. He just wasn't able to get it done. Shot after shot. The Colorado Avalanche ended the series in six games. In all six games, they outshot Tampa Bay. Uh, Nate McKinnon was the leading uh, – leading guy on shots. A lot of his shots on goal didn't get there, but then, you know, a lot of them did. He was just getting turned away. For him to shoot and score in the fashion that he did, think about the the elephant off of his back that that had to create. I mean, that was unbelievable as well. Yeah, you're right. Look, they're not going anywhere. 
But I'm going to say this, and this is not what you should say on a, a night of a Stanley Cup. Tip. They're not going anywhere. They will be the favorites next year, yes. But I don't feel comfortable with Darcy Kemper, Kemper in there. I, I don't. I don't think you could rerun this thing back with him and expect the same kind of result. I know it's impossible uh, to think, well, I, I mean, we just had Tampa Bay, but it's impossible to almost think that a team is going to go back there anyway, not in the way that the Stanley Cup is. Just not a likely scenario, but you look at that, Tim, and you got to go, yeah, I, I don't know if he's going to be the guy. And you start to look around the league. There's a lot of scenarios where that goalie just doesn't seem like the guy. Where you turn around and you're talking about the avalanche coming back, we don't know about that. How about Tampa Bay, Tim? Yeah. We talked about this. You know, uh, you look at John Cooper standing behind. Uh, he's going to be there indefinitely. He'll be there until he wants to retire pretty much, right? Vasilevsky's 28 years old. The core of the team, me and you went over. I read off everybody's age on the core of that team. you got about three, four guys in their mid-30s. Uh, outside of that, this is a pretty young team. Um, you have about two or three guys that, that might be on the way out. But you got to look at this and say, man, they just took Colorado going for a three-peat. They lost a one-goal game, and they just couldn't generate the offense. And they took Colorado to game six without Braden Point, who is their young gunslinger as well. So I look at both of these teams, and I go, if you're their fan base, if you're Colorado's fan base, you're waking up, uh, party, enjoy. Take two Tylenol, deal with your hangover tomorrow, right? Enjoy this for a while. But when dust settles and you want to talk about next season, Colorado's the favorite in the West. Colorado's main competition is an Edmonton team that really doesn't have a goalie. Colorado should be looking and saying, man, okay, we could go back. But don't think Tampa Bay's not doing that either. Tampa Bay's waking up and saying in a very, very, very tough East, where Florida's a President Trump trophy winner. And the Rangers are really, really right there, right? I mean, they push them uh, to the brink. There are some young, big-time players and big-time teams coming up. But if I'm Tampa, I'm going, I don't think that we can't get back there tomorrow, you know, next year. Why? We just get into the playoffs and then ride on Vasilevsky. And we're going to have Braden Point for the whole year. And we can come up with excuses. So both of these teams looking at next year, Tim, have to be really loving the position that they're in. Two biggest names, at least from what I what I'm seeing for Tampa, that are free agents would be Palat and Paul. Combined, they, you know, they, um, solid seasons, but are they replaceable? Absolutely. And the cap room. So Palat, for instance, right? He had a big goal in Game Five. Tommy, that win for Tampa, 49 points this year in 77 games. He's a lefty. But his cap hits five million. You know, that's somebody when you're looking at structure, probably somebody that's not going to come back, but it's not one of the main guns, like you said. And again, the best coach in the NHL. Why would you not think that they're going to be there again? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I can sit back, Tim, and I can talk to you, uh, you know, about what teams are going to be tough and what teams. I, I, it's all going to be speculative, obviously, this early on. But, Tim, I do have betting lines for you if you want to listen to those for next year's betting line. No time like the present to already talk about the future, right? Hey, man, you know, apparently, according to some people, all we do is talk about betting. So, yeah, we might as well, right? What are the odds next year to win the Stanley Cup? Colorado, number one, plus 380, okay? Toronto, number two, eight to one odds. Tampa Bay, 
Number three, nine to one odds, Florida Panthers, 10 to one odds. The Vegas Golden Knights come in next at 14 to one tie with Carolina. So the Colorado Avalanche, and this is going to be the worst dig at the Vegas Golden Knights, and sorry, it's just reality. The Colorado Avalanche are waking up today, Tim, and they're looking at next year and they're going, all right, well, we got to worry about McDavid. Outside of McDavid, it, our biggest competition next year is the Vegas Golden Knights. Yeah, <laughs> Colorado fans, you should be real happy. Vegas Golden Knights with a new coach, uh, a, a goaltender who probably doesn't trust the front office or the fan base right now after the way they treated him and overpaid goal scorers who don't score. That That's what you're looking at Vegas-wise. Where, where are the Rangers at, actually, Tommy? Yeah, they're they're right right after that. Um, yeah, uh, you know the list list goes down to you know, and that's that's all everybody uh, fourteen to one, and then you have the Rangers are at sixteen to one, um, you know, and then down the list pretty much sixteen eighteen to one. So a lot of people are, are kind of combined between like sixteen and like twenty two. Um, I'd just have to, to think, up. I'd have to think you're kind of looking at the Rangers a little bit there, aren't you? Yeah, but again, here's the problem: the East is just so stacked. I mean, you know, I want to take a shot at the Rangers, of course. But Florida just won the President's Trophy. I just mentioned Tampa was coming back. Toronto's not going anywhere. Carolina's still really good. It's going to be the same teams, and they're all going to pretty much be intact. I find it funny um, that we're looking at the Vegas Golden Knights. And here's the thing. This is probably a good time to mention this, Tim. Um, and, and look, maybe it has nothing to do with what we're talking about. Uh, but it's probably a good time to mention that the lines are not based on who Vegas thinks is going to win. The line is based on who they think are going to get, attract the most bets. So that's maybe why Vegas is there, Tim. What do you think? Oh, definitely. There's no <laughs> doubt about it. I, I think, you know, look, Vegas is talented. We know that. It's just a matter of producing it on, on the ice. And, and look, it, you, it's hard to, to get to where you were in your first season. We already know that. And now it's just the reality of hockey. The problem is that they're so cap strong. They're going to have to pull some miracles here to, to free up that space. And, you know, that, how does that work? You, you're going to – we've already talked about it. You, you bring in all the Jack Eichels you want, Tom, but when you're cutting role players that are important late in the season when there's when there's injuries and guys – you know, you could play two lines, I guess, but you need four. So just think about it that way. Yeah, it's going to be – it's going to be a, a really, um, I'm going to say, interesting kind of scenario when we start to do our NHL preview next year. And we start looking at the teams and we go, hey, they're going to be the same teams again, right? I mean, it's going to be the same kind of teams again. And I, I want to see what happens between Timmy's brain from now until then. Because I know for, for my perspective, it's going to be really hard. Just looking at it just right now, it's going to be really hard not to say Tampa and Colorado going back to this game. It's going to be very difficult to get there. The NHL season starts again, Tom, October the 11th. So... Three months, a little bit, a little bit over three months, and we're ready to go again. Yeah, that, that's the thing. It comes real quick. You know, I, I I was sitting there today, and you know, us on the East Coast here, it's beautiful, ninety degree day. Uh, you're out, people are out barbecuing and hanging out, and it's a Sunday, and you're really starting to. Kids just got off of school this week, so you're really starting to finally kind of get that summer vibe. And I looked up and I said, "Oh, there's 11, 11 Sundays to football season." And there's less than 100 days till uh, opening day of, of hockey. <laughs> you know, it comes real fast, Tim. It really does. 
again, the Avalanche, your NHL champions, two to one win tonight in game six at Tampa. Well deserved. Close the book for uh, for a little while on the NHL unless something major happens. And Tom, before we even take that time out, our first time out, I wanted to just again because it happened and I didn't get your thoughts on air about it. The NBA held their draft. Just quick thoughts on on what uh, the NBA draft, if anything, meant to you. I guess I would put it that way because it didn't mean anything to me. Yeah, it meant nothing to almost anybody, Tim. Um, it's funny because we were kind of tongue in cheek. I know I wrote you, and you kind of said, "Well, I can you know, I didn't even watch it. It didn't matter. You know, we were we were laughing. I said, "Yeah, and five five Duke plays are going to be selected inside like the top twenty. This is what it was thought to be." Uh, but the betting market, Tim. There was more bets on the NBA draft top three order than there was in the NFL draft. I couldn't believe it. But when I spoke to a lot of people in the business, they said this is one of the more uneventful NBA drafts they could ever imagine. One of the least anticipated, one of the least watched NBA drafts of all time, Tim. But the betting, think about this. One of the least watched and least talked about and least exciting from the NBA executive standpoint, yet was bet more and had all kinds of volume on a betting perspective from a betting standpoint. You don't think that the NBA is going to start leaning into betting? Think about if betting wasn't legal, Tim. This would have been the worst draft in history. Nobody would have watched this. You can see the writings on the wall for the NBA. People are tuning out. People are just not entertained anymore by what the NBA is doing. But now all of a sudden, betting is really kind of saving them. And you start to think, okay, is this this the NBA's future? NBA is usually – Brilliant with leaning into what is kind of making them money. And if the draft shows you anything, that's sports betting right now is tied into the NBA. So maybe we start to see some more of that. Um, Paolo Banchero, two weeks ago, Tim, you could have got him at more than 20 to 1. All of a sudden, twenty he was, he was at about 20 to 1. He dipped seemingly overnight to about 12 to 1. Then he dipped to 5 to 1. Then 48 hours before the draft, he was at minus two or, or plus 210. Then it went back to Jabari Smith. And Wojciechowski, uh, Wojbaum, said, oh, it was always going to be Jabari Smith, who was minus 210 uh, and more for most of the day. So maybe that's why the betting window was there too. People knew Banchero was going to go, and the price was just astronomical. But Banchero goes to the Magic. You know, look, I don't think that Banchero, Holmgren, or Smith, I don't think any of these guys are generational talents. I don't think any of these guys – are putting a team on the shoulder uh, the way that – I'm not even going to go to like the LeBron route, the way that John Morant has done, right? I don't think any of them have that kind of impact. But solid players are solid players. Banchero's a solid player. He fits with the Magic, do really well. He's going to be the face of the Magic that desperately needs a face of that team. I think it's a solid pick. But I don't think they could have gone wrong if they went with Holmgren or Smith. Holmgren going to the Thunder makes a lot of sense. I think he's going to have a solid career. Again – when I say solid career, guys, I'm saying that these guys are not going to win MVP, but you'll consistently see them in the All-Star game here and there, right? I, they're not going to go in, in a 10-year span. They're not going to the All-Star game eight or nine times, but they'll go four or five times, three, four or five times. Um, Jabari Smith, same thing. Jabari Smith plays good defense. That also helps down there with the Rockets. Going past them, I do like Jaden Ivey going to the Pistons. I thought that that was a good pick. Again, I don't want to call these guys role players. But he's not a star. He's not even a number two. So a solid player. Dyson Daniels from the G League. He goes to the Pelicans. So 
yeah, you look at the Pelicans and you say they're an up-and-coming team. They, the Pelicans don't need him to be a one. The Pelicans don't need him to be a two. Uh, he's He could be kind of a role player. Uh, you look down the list and uh, some of the later guys, the Hornets drafting Mark Williams I thought was really smart. Uh, that was a, a, a pretty nice grab by them. The Spurs drafting Blake Wesley, uh, Blake Wesley, that makes some sense as well. The Mavericks grand bring Wendell Moore. I think Wendell Moore could be a six-man, and I think that that was a, a really nice pick as well. And whatever the hell the Knicks did was ridiculous. The Knicks traded and then traded and then traded out and then traded and then traded. And I'm not telling you that, you know, they, they just completely bungled the draft like everybody in New York believes. But what are they doing? I mean, they, they were just – it was a weird draft for the New York Knicks. So basically, look, it was a bet. The NBA draft was a betting bonanza. Banchero was up, down, and every other way coming into this. Two weeks in, he was uh, 20 to 1 odds. 24 hours before time, he fell all the way down to the second best odds on the board. He winds up going one. I think Banchero, Holmgren, and Smith are players we'll talk about for the next 10 years. I think they're going to be solid players. You know, number twos, maybe, maybe. I think their upside's a number two, but more like number three guys. Jaden Ivey can be a contributor. I don't see a superstar in the group here, Tim. Maybe, you know, look, maybe somebody stands up and Johnny Davis maybe goes crazy, but I don't see a superstar in the group. With that said, I think it's a nice deep draft. I think a lot of teams got a guy that they feel like, okay, he could be a starter on this team for the next couple of years. I agree. Even though I didn't watch a minute of NBA basketball, I do watch college basketball and I had I had Jabari like most people did, and, and you know what? I like Jabari in Houston better than than Jabari in Orlando, anyway. So it it is what it is. Uh, the the funny thing was that on Thursday, the day of the draft, I was I was talking to you or texting you, and I said, "Hey, some guy uh, listener reached out on Twitter, which by the way we appreciate everybody listening across not only in Vegas but across the country, and and they reach out to us on Twitter at." HW Sports or at Tom Barton Sports. He said, um, who do you like today? What's your top five today? And I go, what do you mean? He goes, for the draft. I said, what draft? And he put LOL. And, I, and then I thought about it. I was like, oh, the NBA drafts today. <laughs> like, Tom, I, I'm seriously, I did not even think in my brain when I woke up Thursday that it was NBA draft day. That's how far in six months, which is what, well, season's a little bit longer than that. But you know what I mean? In one full NBA season that I've completely just, it's, completely out of my mind right now yeah it, it really is and sadly tim like i said I, I did tell you you really haven't missed much i, I mean you, you really didn't before the season began we all sat back and said golden state's going to win the championship golden state won the championship we we didn't have any faltering notions on that you knew who was going to be good who was not going to be good i mean maybe maybe you missed a little enjoyment with the lakers completely you know bungling everything and lebron james choking bigger than any superstars ever, ever choked. The most disappointing season, we could say. It wasn't a full choke job by LeBron. Just a disappointing season. Potentially the most disappointing season for a superstar that I can remember. Uh, so you missed out some fun there. You missed out on a nice little Celtics run. Overall, though, Tim, ho-hum, another NBA season. I yawned for through most of it. I'll continue to yawn, just like I yawned through the draft. It was a yawning kind of fest. And it just went with what everything in the NBA has just consistently been. And that is a yawn fest. Tim, I don't even have the odds in front of me. And I can tell you right now, if I don't have the odds in front of me, and I can tell you for somebody that did not watch a single game this year, you could probably rattle off the odds and come within 
uh, within a dollar or two of every single game, uh, every single uh, you know team that's going to be there. It's going to be the same teams. It's going to be the same players. It's going to everything's going to be exactly the same, and we're going to sit back and we're going to have the same three or four teams at the end, kind of trying to be the same three or four teams at the end. We had a repeat MVP. Okay, it's going to be the same guys going for MVP. The same guys that going for MVP are not really going to be around when the finals come around. I mean, it's the same story time and time again, and eventually people are going to tune away from that. We both picked Golden State in late September to win the NBA title. Yeah, you notice how we didn't ask Ryan to pull that clip for us because it's not really – no no (laughs) one's going to be like, wow, those guys are great because they picked (laughs) what we all thought. We should should do it anyways just to make people hate us, but – so we both picked them in late September to win. Like like I said many times, we didn't go out on a ledge on that. But So really, the nine-month season didn't mean anything. We could have fast-forwarded right to the end because that's exactly what happened. And I know, look, it's Golden State, and, and I'm sure they're the favorite next year again. So for me, when I look at it, and now the next big thing is, Tom, actually this week, free agency starts, and you see these same names, right? Oh, Kyrie's up again. Harden could be going somewhere else. Westbrook could be going somewhere else. I think Brad Beal joins the, joins the list this year. I did see some names, though, that were, that were a little curious. Zach Levine, DeAndre Ayton, also free agents coming up for, for the first time. I think it'll be interesting to see where those guys kind of land. But at the top of the list, it's the same guys again, Tom. It really is. Yeah, it's going to be the same thing. And, and Tim, I got to ask you, when was the last time that you believe the NBA needed a regular season. And I'm, I'm not being tongue-in-cheek here. I'm being completely honest. What was the last time the regular season meant anything in the NBA? What was the last time the NBA season had a team come out of nowhere and really kind of jump onto the scene and you say, wow, no. I mean, and I know I'm going to get some feedback. Well, look at Memphis this year. Yeah, and what did they wind up doing? Nothing at the end. So it didn't, it didn't matter. When was the last time we had that? Since LeBron has entered the league, it has been – a script that we've just watched time and time again since LeBron's entered the league. And don't tell me, well, you know, two years ago, everybody thought the Lakers and the Clippers because I didn't. I told you guys that right then and there. I thought that they both would. Do not give me the bubble nonsense. The Lakers do not have a championship with LeBron James. Do not go down that road in any way, shape, or form. No, nobody, nobody, nobody respects you if you believe that. Stop right now. So name me the team, Tim. It's been the Bucks. It was supposed to be the Nets. I mean, I guess the Nets falling flat on their face could be a little bit of a regular season, ha-ha. But no, it is not. The regular season has not mattered. Right now, we're talking in the NBA, Tim, where the Miami Heat, a team that was in the championship two years ago, a team that went to the Eastern Conference Championship, right? The Miami Heat are kind of the underdog story that people are like, wow, that's the good team. Underdog story? In any other sport, they're putting together one of their best runs you know, that you could imagine without a championship. Uh, yeah. But that's the way that the narrative has been in the NBA. What was the – do you remember what you sent me? Was it a television rating in comparison? And, and we, we joked about how our, our former producer used to just get upset when we talked about how bad the NBA was and the ratings. You sent it to me last week, I think. Do you remember what it was? It was – yeah, I don't remember the exactly what it was, but – the NBA ratings, whatever whatever NBA ratings that uh, I did send you, and I I want to say it was for I want to say it was for Game Six is what I believe. But uh, basically, the NBA ratings are 
the equivalent of, of a Major League Baseball regular season game. <laughs> yeah, right. the finals, the finals are uh, for about what we are looking at at, at the regular season, you know, NBA. It, it, it's it's terrible. I mean, it really has fallen off. And you know, you have the people all the time, right? That turn around and what do they what do they say to? Oh, come on! Well, you don't know streaming and you don't know this. And you know, come on! The leagues are doing this all the same, right? The leagues are constantly. Uh, doing everything together, right? That, that, that's what it is. You can't turn around and talk to me about, you know, the leagues are not, well, they're not doing this and that. Yeah, yeah, they are. You know, yes, they are. The leagues are counting all kinds of percentages. The leagues are counting all sorts of, of, of numbers. You can't sit there and tell me only the NBA. Come on, come on. He used to get mad at us. <laughs> like really mad. Oh, you yeah. know? Well, you so- guys don't understand streaming and, you know, there's more people watching on their phone than on TV. Look, it, it's all there, right? And I will say this because we do know for a fact a lot of people in this town, Tim, they have no idea what ratings mean or how you use ratings. But we learned that. Um, you know, ratings are only there for advertisers. We get all that. But it gives you a synopsis of how many people are, are really paying attention, have some skin in the game. And, and we're talking about it. They're going to always be NBA fans because of how it's promoted, and it's promoted really well. There's always going to be NBA fans because of the way that the, the athletes themselves really kind of jump up and the athletes themselves really put on the show. I'm not saying that. But there's my argument for years have been there's no reason at all to sit back and watch the NBA for three quarters. And I've gotten even further. I, I, I used to say you don't have to watch the NBA before Christmas. Reality is you don't have to watch the NBA before the playoffs, Tim. And you can kind of forget about the first round even. I mean, that's where we're at here. I don't know if you knew this or not, Tom, but Heat Wave Sports is the highest rated local show here in Las Vegas on the weekends. Yeah, that, that is true. That is very true. But again, with ratings, and I could go into ratings about uh, on on radio and my vast radio knowledge about ratings and people just don't understand what it means they think that it means well that's how many people are listening to you guys right now no it doesn't <laughs> you know it's an aqh it's an average daily audience they they think that if one person listens today guess what tim last night's one person that listened last night counts as a different person today right so uh, they don't care talk about carryover they don't do all that stuff and that's the nba the nba is not there's no way that the NBA is happy with the way that they're creating new fans because they're not creating new fans like they used to. They're not retaining fans any longer. The NBA is still going to be popular. It's still going to be okay. But we have watched a, a pretty big dip in what they've done. I, I think, I guess, what, what does it mean for the future? You know, not, not necessarily this year and next year, Tom, but what about – 10 years down the road, I mean, what's going to happen here? What do you think is going to happen? I think they're going to be in a lot of trouble. I think that the NBA is in pretty desperate need for that next guy. And they keep pushing, you know, that next guy. And they keep pushing who they are, are hoping to come up. But he's not here, Tim. You look at what, what the NBA is. And the NBA, if I was sitting in front of the executives, I would tell them almost – you know what? Forget about America at this point. You you guys are already all in, right? I mean, the, the NBA is already basically all in 
where they're saying, just go international. Your best players, forget about 10 years from now, Tim, your best players five years from now in the league are more than likely, and you could argue they are today. The MVP is not American. Giannis is not American, who uh, could, could have won the MVP, probably you know, should have been finishing second. Luca is, is going to carry this league, not an American. They're all not – and I, I don't mean American as far as uh, nationality, guys. Where, where – oh, he's not – no, no, I'm talking about where they're, they're originally from, where they started their careers, is not in America. They're not college kids coming up that just happened to go to different schools. No, no, no. They're all international stars. And I think that the international game for the NBA will continue to grow. And the American game is going to kind of go by the wayside here. And it's going to be that the American players, the American-born college players specifically, the Jabari Smiths of the world, the Paolo Bancheros of the world, they're going to become the number twos. And we're going to watch every team, or nearly every team, have a dominant number one guy that is from the European League, that is an experienced European player. So cater to that. Because the American media and the American people are tuning you out and they're tuning you off. So I would really concentrate on the European model. Let the European model roll because where the game is headed right now, Tim, that's what it is. You know, there's no more days of big time defense. It's not coming back. They're not going to allow defenses to come back. So you're only going to get more scoring. You're only going to get all more outside shooting from the American college players because that's how they're brought up. But the European players have the Eurostep. The European players have that inside kind of uh, game that you can have fun with. They have that that Dirk Nowinski, you know, step back three pointer or, or a two pointer, uh, even though it's not a three. Well, you know what? It gets two in there. And I think that that's how the game has to evolve. You can't keep going out there and being slam dunking three pointers. You can't just keep going out there and, and watching that game devolve like that. And I think that the European game is sort of going to save the NBA. But I don't think it's going to save it here in America. I think uh, the American public not going to like the game that the Europeans bring over. He is Tom Barton. I'm Tim Unglesby. This is Heatwave Sports. When we come back from this timeout, we'll move over to the NFL. Sean Watson starts his NFL case on Tuesday. What's that mean for the Cleveland Browns moving forward? Tommy's thoughts on that. As we continue our tour around the world of sports, this is Heatwave Sports. This is Fox Sports Radio. Spring training begins in two weeks. Here's a list of the players we'll be inviting to camp. I never heard of half of these guys, and the ones I do know are way past the prime. Most of these guys never had a prime. This guy here is dead. Cross him off, then. This is Heatwave Sports. Here's Tom Barton and Tim Unglesby. Definitely we'll be talking Major League Baseball in Hour 2 here on EWA Sports, Fox Sports Radio. Quick programming notes. Tommy and I are going to take next weekend off for one of my favorite holidays, Tommy. I know, you know, you have the big guns, Christmas, Thanksgiving. Some people like New Year's. I'm not a big New Year's guy, but Fourth of July, man. I've always been a big Fourth of July guy. How about you? Yeah, you know, for me, it's uh, usually the week before my birthday. So I really always enjoy Fourth of July. It's one of my favorite holidays, Tim. But I don't have a ritual. Yeah, I don't have something that I always do on the 4th of July. Um, both of my kids don't, don't really love the fireworks. It's a little loud for them. They're still pretty young. Um, you know, my son's grown out of that, but my, my daughter's still four, so she doesn't love the fireworks. So, you know, they watch the fireworks, but it's nothing crazy. But it always happens to be a good weekend. Like, I have, I have stories about the 4th of July weekend 
Um, the only thing that I do, I, you guys know I'm a massive history guy. I went to you know school for history. Uh, I mean, I, I've t- literally taken classes with the premier revolutionary uh, human being on earth. I mean, he is you know the the guy, and I took classes with him. So I'm a massive, massive, massive history guy. Every single year, me and my wife sit down and we watch the John Adams miniseries leading up to July 4th. So that's always something cool that I do. But I don't ever have like this planned great event. But I really, really, really love July 4th. It's among it's among the top four or five for me, for sure, of best days of the year when you talk about holidays. Yeah, I, th- I agree. I think, yeah, funny, right? I agree with everything, Tom. But it's, it's funny that because I'm not a fireworks guy either and really in Vegas – they do fireworks for everything. So it's, it's not like it's yes. special. Um, it's too damn hot. <laughs> Number two, it is ridiculously hot to be outside, but yet idiots are outside. I mean, it is what it is. I, so yes, it's for the kids, but like you said, uh, obviously Aiden's outgrown that and, and cams, she don't really care. So I like it more so because um, I like the, I, like you said, historically, I like the idea I like what it means. I, I like to see how it's changed this country over the years. And then it comes down to the food, which I guess has changed a lot too, because before, at least in my family and in my, my uh, growing up, we didn't barbecue every weekend like like you, Tommy. You know, you, you crank it up, man. We didn't do that all the time. It was special occasions, and 4th of July was one of those things. So you always knew you were going to get the barbecue for 4th of July. Yeah, I, it's funny because as you say that, Tim, um, I, my son this year, he's, he's into shrimp now. So he's a burger guy. We, mm-hmm. I mean, literally when I tell you, when we go on vacation, he'll eat burgers seven days in a row. He'll eat them at three meals in a row. He's, he's a massive burger guy. I love to, to cook on the grill. You know that I'll cook on the grill all year long. I'm a big grill guy. I, uh, I marinate a good, a good London broil. I'm a London broil person. So this year he said, now he's all into shrimp because we go to Key West all the time. First of all, I got to explain to the kid they're not going to be Key West shrimp, but okay, no problem. So he's into shrimp. So now I'm, I'm getting shrimp ready for the barbecue. So I'm already planning. What are we, you know, we're a week out. I'm already planning the 4th of July barbecue. Um, I sit down, I have a tiki bar in my backyard, and it's not a, a normal size tiki bar. I mean, I have a tiki bar that is basically the size of a one bedroom apartment with a deck around. So I go hang out in the tiki bar, I go to my mom's pool, have a little barbecue. It's the perfect summer kind of experience i know there you know it's so unbelievably hot but here you know we're just just this week the friday was tommy's last day of school so just this week tomorrow is going to be his first real day of summer so for us it's a little bit different it's kind of fourth of july is kind of the beginning of summer you're you're kicking it off for a lot of the country i mean i know my wife you know grew up in florida for her Fourth of July was kind of like the middle of their their summer. They go back to school in the beginning of August in Florida. A lot of the country, North Carolina, a lot of his cousins, they've been out of school since the beginning of June. So for everybody around the country, it's a little bit different. Here on the East Coast, Florida, especially in New York, Fourth uh, of July means the beginning of the summer. Okay, we got you know, a good 60 days to really party and enjoy barbecues every day, a couple of cold beers, sitting around, jumping in the pool, hanging at the tiki bar. Well, that's what we're going to be doing on respective sides of the country for the holiday. We'll be back on the ninth. So hey, Tim, sure let think. me let, let me ask you this: not to yeah. not to stop you in in the middle of uh, telling everybody what the programming is. <laughs> what is your 
because it's pretty funny when you say when you say specific dates there's not a lot of specific dates that come to mind if you ask me you know october 31st you ask me about a halloween game i could come up with one or two football games right away you ask me about thanksgiving game obviously we know the football games a new year's game maybe there's a college bowl game that comes to mind there's not a lot of baseball dates that stand out the actual date itself outside of opening day but july 4th always stands out for me is there a memory that you have about july 4th when it obtains the baseball baseball wow Ooh. You know, for me, I still remember 1983, Dave Rigetti throwing a no-hitter against the, the Red Sox on July 4th. That was kind of cool. You know, it was Dave Rigetti who was kind of switched over from being, uh, you know, eventually we all know him as a closer. He was a starter being the Red Sox on July 4th. I mean, that was kind of cool. There are some iconic July 4th moments in baseball, um, you know, when you're you're talking about throughout history, it has become kind of that day. The biggest of all, you know, you, you turn around and you talk about uh, what is the biggest and what is the, the most memorable. Well, Lou Gehrig saying goodbye is the most memorable, right? I mean, we know that. Uh, you think about the, the Lou Gehrig on July 4th, number four, maybe the biggest all-American boy that's ever been there. I mean, no slight to, to Babe Ruth, but Lou Gehrig was the clean-cut kid, Ivy League school, Everybody loved him, and number four on on July fourth, sure. But you have some other big ones too. Um, my dad, I remember him telling me all about this. Was he, in 1985? The on July fourth. Think about it. You go to a July fourth game, you probably have a couple of beers and all that anyway. The Mets in Atlanta went 19 innings July fourth. Nolan Ryan, 3,000 strikeouts in 1980. He got that on July fourth. So there are some pretty cool July 4th tales, I'll tell you that. I want to see if anything jumped out for you. Once I thought about it, Gary would be obviously the, for baseball historians, that's without a doubt number one. There is no number two in my book. So that's the only one that popped in my head when you when I was actually starting to think about it. And yeah, you, you brought up some good ones. I wouldn't mind going to, you know me, Tom, I wouldn't mind sitting there for 19 innings watching a baseball game. I'm okay with that, man. Yeah, I, well, my, my father was at the longest game of all time. Um, a, a pretty funny story that for for years it was the longest game of all time. It was in the early 70s. It was in the Mets. And he was there with a, a couple of my uncles, and they brought him to the game. My dad used to have to be at work at 5 a.m. And they kept saying, I got to leave the game. It went into, what, 24, 25 innings. He actually has the – I have the ticket stub to that. And um, you know, they were yelling at him for leaving the game. He's like, I got to go to work. Imagine going right there. But I wouldn't mind. Like, hey, give me 19 minute game. I'll take it. I'll take it all day. What's the longest game you ever went to, Tim? I got um, I got the Yankee playoff game when the Yankees and Mariners played back in 95. Jim Layritz hit the home run, which is still probably my favorite live appearance kind of game. That was a 15 inning game. 15 inning playoff game is the longest game I've ever been at. Yeah. I want to say it was a regular season game somewhere in the midst of. 14, 15 innings. I think that's probably the longest. It's not. It was not not a game of um, of matter, but it, it was a regular season game. So I remember it was a West Coaster, and obviously I was. It was in Anaheim, Tom. So I remember it was. It was approaching midnight. That's how long it had taken. So and that's when game started at seven, seven thirty. So. Well, let me tell you this. Can I go on a little a little bit of a rant here, Tim? Sure. 
I know we only got about two or three minutes left. Um, just a quick rundown of July 4th. I know we're, we're looking ahead, but just a quick rundown of July 4th. We have some good games on July 4th, right? Uh, we, we have Red Sox Rays. That'll be fun. Brewers Cubs. That'll be fun. Uh, you, you start to look at what Arizona, uh, 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 it's going to be Zach Gallon's going to look like he's going to be on the mound for Arizona against the Giants. That could be a fun one. Braves Cardinals could get interesting. Uh, Twins White Sox could get interesting. The New York Yankees are not playing on July 4th, Tim. I don't, I don't even, I don't have words for that. How, how do you, how do, how do teams not have a game on July 4th? Yeah. Who, who wrote the schedule, right? Come on. And we, just said, you... we just said that the most iconic moment is Lou Gehrig ever saying, uh, you know, on July 4th, second might be Rigetti's no hitter. I mean, you got Albert Pujols in a home run, but you know, you got one and two classic New York Yankees, the team that's in first place, you're going to have, uh, I mean, a full, Pack Stadium. How do you how do you not have the New York Yankees playing on July fourth? And why isn't it Red Sox Yankees? They could have built that yeah, into the well, schedule. That, that's the next series right after that, actually. Yeah. I also noticed that the last game starts at six ten because obviously you want to you want to have time to do a fireworks show afterwards on the West Coast. So. Oakland and the uh, L.A. Dodgers have 6 o'clock games. Chicago White Sox start their game at 7 o'clock in Chicago. Atlanta starts theirs at 6 o'clock. So, we, you know, we kind of see who's going to have this, the fireworks shows there, Tom. Tigers guarding doubleheader on July 4th, Tim. Yeah. That's actually kind of cool. That's kind of cool. Yeah. That's fun. I would, I would do that for sure. Yeah, I would too. I See, I, I'm still – and this is going to be my – Ryan's going to pull a clip and be like, look, the old man's talking again. I still want all-day baseball games on July 4th. I know the fireworks I get. I like the day baseball games. And we have, you know, Tigers, Guardians, Orioles, Rangers, Nats, Marlins, Red Sox, Rays, all the early games, and then everything else is is late afternoon. I like the early baseball games. If the owners weren't so greedy, which we know this will never happen, and I know we've seen we we do have some doubleheaders this year scheduled, but it would be a lot easier, I would think, to have the extra day off, Tom, and play a doubleheader. Maybe not once, maybe not every week, but you build a couple into the schedule every month for these teams to get an extra day off. But we'll never see it because right now they have day night doubleheaders where they charge you to go to both of them. Yeah, yeah. Get everybody out, move everybody in. Come on, come on. Yeah, yes. you know. I, I mean, look, it's you said when the owners stop being greedy. That's never, I'm not, I'm holding my breath for that, Tim. That's not happening. Um, but it is, it, there's so many easy fixes in baseball, and they just don't want to do it because it's, you know, looking at this and just saying, well, I just want the money now. But long term, it'll be better. I mean, again, how much, it's not only the New York Yankees, and I know people are going to go, well, you're mentioning that because you're a Yankee fan. No, they're the highest grossing team. As far as television contracts go, the league is better off when you have the leading MVP and a guy going for the all-time home run record in Aaron Judge playing on July 4th on the center stage where a lot of casual baseball fans, that's going to be their day. A lot of casual baseball fans are going to, like I said, sit around, watch a day baseball game, hang out. Their wives give them a day off before they blow up uh, fireworks in the streets or go watch something. They're going to watch the game that day. 
casual baseball fans want to sit down. You don't want to keep hearing how great this Yankee team is. No, they're not on. No, you can't listen to them. It's bad for baseball. Yeah, and, and I hate to be the elitist Yankee fan, but it's the truth. If you sit down and you didn't have a the Kansas City Royals or the Pittsburgh Pirates, all right, you can get by that. But the Yankees are going to go under attention. I can see somebody in Pittsburgh going, yeah, I don't care. I don't want to watch these bums. Not in New York. It's not going to happen. And around the league, I mean, you're telling me you're on the uh, on the West Coast there, Tim. You're telling me you wouldn't turn it on as you're waking up and kind of enjoying breakfast and kind of going about your day. You wouldn't turn on a 1 o'clock Yankee game, East Coast Yankee game, you know, sitting there at 10 o'clock a.m. Of course you would. You keep it on in the background. It just It's good for baseball. Yeah, it's the same with Thanksgiving, with NFL, NBA basketball on, on Christmas. Baseball, it should be the 4th of July, and you should have your – it's not even the premier teams. I'll say that it's it's historically what it should be, and it should be Yankees, Red Sox. I hate both those franchises, Tom, but it should be Yankees, Red Sox as the premier day of the game or game of the day every 4th of July, period. That should be built into a schedule every year, and that's the way it should be because it's, it's America, right? That's what it is. It's about being American. And you want to sit back and you want to – you want to listen to the owners and say, well, you know what? We don't want Yankees, Red Sox. We don't want to ruin the box office that day because people are going to come out anyway before 4th of July. But you don't even have a game. <laughs> I mean, you don't have any, you don't have a game. How ridiculous is that? I don't, I'm trying to do my quick math to try to figure out who else has an off day that day. And I can't figure it out, but somebody else has to have an off day. Um, so it's not just the Yankees, but the Yankees were the team that kind of popped out. at me. So I'm going to wake up 4th of July, which is a Monday. And I get up. Look, as you get older, you already know kids in school. You, you, even when they're out of school, your body's trained a certain way. So, my my breakfast reward on Fourth of July, Tom, is the Florida Marlins at the Washington Nationals, eight oh five start, followed up by, <laughs> which is good for me, followed up by um, the Texas Rangers at the Baltimore Orioles at ten o'clock. But for most people across the country, that is not the games that people want to see. You know, no, not at all. But you know what? Maybe Juan Soto will put on a show. Somebody, there, there should be a rule. Look, every team plays on opening day. Every team plays on Labor Day. Every team plays on Memorial Day. Every team plays on July 4th. Yeah. No, I agree. 100%. That takes care of Hour 1 here on the Super Sunday Night of Heat Wave Sports. In Hour 2, yeah, more Major League Baseball. And, again, we're going to talk some NFL football after the timeout. Deshaun Watson in huge, huge trouble here. What does that mean for him? What does that mean for the Browns? And I wanted to ask Tommy's thoughts on I saw a list come out over at ESPN on second-year quarterbacks from the uh, the current second-year quarterbacks. I'd like to get Tommy's preview of these six guys that are from the 2021 draft class. All in hour two, Ryan, take us to the timeout. It's Heat Wave Sports, Fox Sports Radio. Time for Hour 2 of Heatwave Sports, Fox Sports Radio, Las Vegas, 989 FM, 1340 AM, at HW Sports, at Tom Barton Sports over on Twitter. Yes, off next weekend for the, the 4th of July holiday, back on the 9th. Plenty, plenty going on in the world of sports, and we're going to shift over to the National Football League as Tommy Deshaun Watson will have his disciplinary hearing Tuesday with the NFL. And this, of course, involves the massive, massive lawsuits that, well, charges 
and now civil lawsuits that are, have, uh, looks like 20 of the 24 people that accused them of sexual assault and inappropriate conduct have agreed to uh, settlements. There's four withholding, but um, this is more of what is going to happen in, with the NFL and the Cleveland Browns as far as, number one, how many games is Deshaun Watson going to miss? Because it's gonna it's not going to be zero. And number two, piggybacking on number one, Tom, is it could be more than we originally thought of when we were throwing out six and eight and four uh, just a month ago. Yeah, I spoke about this last night briefly, Tim. I saved about five minutes of the show to, to kind of touch on it because the hearings start on Tuesday. And the rumors are coming out, and Adam Scheffler has backed up a lot of the rumors, saying that the NFL is basically – they're going for the jugular. There's, they're, they want a year minimum with an indefinite suspension, really their, their big-time goal here. And I think what the NFL is doing, Tim, is they're protecting themselves. They're going – you know, we'll come out strong. We'll kind of uh, really try to throw down the hammer. I'm still skeptical, though, Tim. At the end of the day, we just watched Roger Goodell stand up in front of, you know, I mean, lawmakers in this country, right? Stand up in front of everybody and basically say that Daniel Snyder has stepped away from the team. He, he has nothing to do with the team. And then pictures surface that, yeah, he was doing – all kinds of team things within weeks of, of, of Goodell saying that. And Goodell basically said, listen, I, I do. I work for the owners. So I have to believe that the Browns had to talk to Roger Goodell before time, before they laid out the highest paid player in the NFL for him to be suspended for this long. I still believe that he's only going to, and I thought this in the beginning, I thought he was only going to get six to eight games. Now I'm starting to think maybe they do give him the year. And I, I would love them. I would love the, if they did. Well, you mentioned something before the break, though, and, and I have a little bit of a, a little bit of a different opinion. Where you said, you know, he paid guys off. They paid paid these women off. And when a guy pays, uh, you know, somebody off, well, you know, it's an admission of guilt. I don't agree with that, Tim. A lot of these mm-hmm. people will do payoffs and do things like that. And it looks, I get it, it looks bad, but it's more to kind of just end it, right? The Browns want to move on. He wants to move on. He got a big signing bonus. Can I make this headache kind of go away? It's never going to go fully away. But look, if it, we don't have to get into details and we don't have to get into anything, all right, kind of deal with it. And I think about it where there were times in my life, not that I've ever been accused of anything like this at all, okay? Uh, so I'm trying to come up with a really terrible false equivalent. Um, but there were times in my life, where, especially when I own businesses and whatnot, and somebody comes, uh, you know, they'll complain or, or they'll do something. And it's just like, you know what? You're in the wrong, man, but just take it. I mean, we've done that before. Um, I, when I, I – running TomBartonSports.com, you know, if I have – people sign up for 30 days, I'll have a bad four days. They'll call back to their credit card company and be like, ah, you know, this guy isn't what he was advertised. Now, I'll go out and still have a winning month, and it is what it is. But, okay, look, you're wrong contract you signed was wrong it, it, it's $99 charged to your card okay fine you want your $99 back go ahead it doesn't necessarily mean an admission of guilt but here's where I don't fully disagree with you Tim not all of them settled and we don't know it's pure speculation but we don't know did they not settle because there are women that are asking for more money or maybe these four women are on the high ground and they're saying you can't buy your way out of this Deshaun. I'm in the right 
I'm morally right. So we don't know that. And that really is what makes me sit uneasy with all this. I hope they throw the book at Deshaun. I said that they should give him one game suspension for every accused woman. That's 24 games. I'm okay with that. That's kind of the, that's where I'm sitting with this. I, I mean, I don't sit here and have an animosity towards a guy that I rooted for in college and a guy that I like, but I read just the, the facts that you put forward. Deshaun, you sat here and said, I did nothing wrong. I did nothing wrong. I'm completely innocent. I did nothing wrong. And months later, your lawyer stood up and said, hey, a happy ending isn't illegal. So, you know, I mean, the, the, the story has clearly evolved, Tim. I hope they throw the book at him. I just fear that they're not going to. I still believe I was set on six games. I'm like, Roger Goodell has no spine. He's going to give six games. Maybe you convince me about eight right now. I still don't think he's getting more than eight games. Maybe 10. Can you twist my arm and get to 10? Maybe. I, I don't think there's any chance he's sitting out for the year. But I said this to you off the air. If Deshaun Watson does not get to play for the Browns, let's say they suspend him indefinitely or whatever the case might be. My prediction is the Cleveland Browns don't make the playoffs for a decade. This sets you back a decade. Normally, when you you know have a bad quarterback draft or something like that, it sets you back five years because now you have to wait for that guy for two or three years. Then you have to go draft somebody else. Then you have to develop. It sets a team back five to six years if you have a bad draft and you draft the wrong quarterback. Well, this is worse because you gave up draft picks. This is worse because you're also on the hook for some money. I think the Cleveland Browns window to make the playoffs closes for a decade if he doesn't play for them. The perceived attention of settling a civil lawsuit, like you said, it could be for whatever reason, but most people look at it like I do. Well, he just basically admitted he was guilty, so he screwed himself. But what was he supposed to do, right, Tom? He had to do something here. I'm with you. I think eight is probably the number now, maybe ten. But if they do go a full year, like you said, um, and you brought it up, they're they're screwed. I was going to use another another uh, word, but I'm, I don't know if Ryan's got the hot key on. I was going to use another word. They are screwed. 22, 23, 24 first-round draft picks gone. Right? And no, this isn't that movie. <laughs> he traded all his first rounds. And on top of it, Joe Burrow, Lamar Jackson, and, and – Potentially, can you pick it, right? That's who we're talking about, Who's who they're going against in that division that they play twice a year, two teams, or they play those teams twice a year. I'm with you. I think that window is dramatic, and they don't have the money to go get anybody else. That's the problem now. So they are totally screwed. What? what okay, so if, if that's the case, if he's suspended for a year, they, they didn't plan on bringing Baker Mayfield back, at, right, Tommy? They were going to get rid of that contract. It's an $18 million cap hit. That obviously is thrown out the window now. You have to bring him back because you're not going to go with Jacoby Brissett as your starting quarterback. So they are really, really in uh, deep crap. Tim, I said it last night. One of the most fun things that's going to happen is us watching the Cleveland Browns grovel and try to make things up with Baker. Yeah. I mean, how do you how do you make this up? You, you, they're not going to be able to. I mean, they're just not. It's going to be hysterical. Look, you know, there are times where you and your wife get into a fight, Tim. You and your girlfriend get into a fight, and you go, all right, I really screwed up. You know, I'm kind of in the doghouse. I got to buy flowers. 
you know, I'm really screwed up. I got, I got to go get her a nice dinner. I'll take her out to a nice dinner. No, no, no. This is, you just got caught, you know, with her sister in bed. Like this is, this is not flowers or candy or a nice dinner kind of apology. How are the Browns possibly going to rectify it with Baker Mayfield? The only thing they could do is not play nice and kind of just be like, well, you're under contract, you're going to play. And Baker going, all right, well, it's my career. I kind of have to prove something. That's it. That or they go and try to get some of these draft picks back and they trade him for some kind of draft capital, you know, to Carolina, to Seattle, who are both seemingly interested. But, man, the backpedaling will be astonishing to watch. I mean, it really is going to be astonishing to watch. Couldn't happen to a better franchise. Well, maybe Pittsburgh, but, you know, being a Ravens fan, I love it. I really love it. I'll tell you what, though, Tim, you know, you look at the Browns. The Browns have made Baker Mayfield a sympathetic figure, haven't they? A lot of people in this country did not like Baker. They don't like his commercials. They don't like his cocky attitude. They didn't like him, you know, coming from uh, from college, the things that he did there. A lot of people didn't like Baker. Because of the way the Browns have handled this, I'm rooting for Baker right now. And I was never a Baker fan. I didn't dislike him or like him. I'm rooting for him now. I continue to hear that among people. People are rooting for Baker now. They've made him into a sympathetic figure, Tim. It it could be the greatest comeback story ever. And then if if it concludes with them making the playoffs or whatever, at the end of the year, he's like, I'm out of here, man. You pay me my money. I'm gone, right? Because well, how about has- this? Tim, how about this? How about Baker Mayfield is forced to play, okay? He takes the Browns to the Super Bowl. <laughs> Right? Baker, look, they have the talent to do it. There was a lot of people that believed that Baker Mayfield was just injured last year. He takes the Browns to the Super Bowl. What do you do with Deshaun Watson the next year? You, you're gonna you're gonna get rid of Baker Mayfield? You're gonna let him walk away? You, you're gonna let Baker walk away after a Super Bowl for Cleveland? I mean, now now the story gets real fun. If Baker Mayfield starts for the Cleveland Browns, Tim, I I, I said it last night. Baker Mayfield starts for the Cleveland Browns, I might buy a Baker Mayfield jersey. I might be a Browns fan. I'm gonna love. I'm gonna love rooting for them every single. I'm sorry. No, I know you're a Ravens guy. You can't do it. But I'm gonna love it because I want Baker Mayfield to succeed out of his mind there, just be, to put them into a position of being like, I can't believe we traded for Deshaun Watson. <laughs> it would be funny, wouldn't it? I saw this list, <clears throat> and I wanted to bring it up to you since. We, we have talked massively about the 2021 NFL draft, especially about Lawrence and Wilson and, and Lance and Fields, right? We, we, many, many shows we discussed on where these guys were going to go. And then after the draft, how the transition was going to be. And then during the season, their struggles. So now in year two, ESPN came up with a draft and there's a few different guys that kind of listed who the, how they thought the six quarterbacks of the 2021 draft class would do in year number two. So we have Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence from the Jags, Zach Wilson, Jets, Trey Lance and Frisco, Justin Fields with your Bears, Mac Jones from the Pats, and Davis Mills, the quarterback with the Texans. And obviously Mac Jones had the best first year leading the Patriots to the playoffs. So year number two now, Tom, right? These guys are supposed to be gotten uh, smarter to the game, bigger in the, in the uh, weight room, a year older as far as experience goes. Of those six, how do you look at them? And I'm going to tell you that one of these guys put Davis Mills at the top of his list 
for year two quarterbacks. So we could probably just scratch him off of any consideration of being an expert. All right, let, give me give me the six guys again. All right, I'm, I'm uh, writing Trev- them down in my order. Go ahead. Yeah. Trevor Lawrence, okay. Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, Justin Fields, Mac Jones, and Davis Mills. So in the order that they went, right? Right. Okay. Draft. So, and the question is, give me the specific question. Who do I think is going to have the biggest jump? Who's going to be the, of the six, who's going to have the best second second year, yes. Best second season. Okay. Because yeah. there, there is a difference there. You know what I mean? I mean, Fields had, I mean, Jones had a pretty good year. Jones had a better year than Fields. So if it was jump, I mean, Mills had a better year than all of them, really. Right. So, okay. <laughs> Which, you know, that's why I was trying to wiggle the way out of this guy having an idiotic, you know, kind of a situation here. So, nope, can't save him. All right. Who's going to have the best second year? It's not going to be Trey Lance because I'm still not sure that he's going to be the starter. And everything I hear from San Francisco is that he's not quite ready yet. I think he can have a decent year, but he's going to a team that loves to run the ball. He's going to a team that likes to play defense. He's going to a division where he has to face that Rams defense twice. Going to a division where – you know, it's tough and rumble. I, I think Trey Lance might have a fine year, but his numbers are not going to be the best at all. Definitely not. Same thing with Davis Mills. I think Davis Mills can be an effective starter in the league, but he's not going to have great numbers. He's not going to be that guy. So, so cross those two off the list. Mac Jones, same thing. Mac Jones has a new weapon in Devontae Parker, sure, but this team will still be defense and running the ball. And Damian Harris might have a huge year. That doesn't help out. Mac, Mac, Mac Jones. Again, you're talking about best year. Mac Jones might have the best record of all these guys. Uh, I think Trey Lance probably does. But we're talking about individual year itself. Lance and Jones won't have the numbers, neither will Mills. Brings us to Justin Fields. Look, I'm a Bears fan. I think there's a, a lot to, to like in Justin Fields. I think he could take a nice step up. I like what Justin Fields is. But I did a long conversation with our buddy Rob Mish about this. He wrote it up in the Chicago Sun-Times. Um, Joe, uh, Fields has a, has a problem with pressure. He just does. And I don't mean pressure of the game. I mean when pressure comes. He likes to dump off a lot. He doesn't read really well. The Bears are going to have a lot of those problems. Bears didn't give him a lot to work with. I, they're building something in Chicago. And I think if you ask me who's going to have the best career, Justin Fields still might have that best career, but not next year. So I'll put him... Third, third behind Wilson and Lawrence. Now, you guys know how high I was on, on Lawrence and Wilson. I thought he was going to be a lot better than people believe. Wilson's starting to get some weapons. Wilson's also has looked good at times. My problem with Wilson is that he's on the Jets. And I mean, I'm not trying to be funny here. The Jet, Everything bad happens to the Jets all the time. Now, Wilson was helped out immensely in the offseason. More than uh, all of these guys, as far as the, the straight attributes that they went out and got him, they are building an offense around him. I like what the New York Jets are doing. I don't like their head coach that much, but I like what the Jets are trying to do. I just don't think they have the weapons for him to take that huge leap. I'm going to go Troy Trevor Lawrence. I'm going to say Lawrence is going to have the best year because I am absolutely chalking up last year to Urban Meyer. We watched Lawrence throughout his entire career dominate at every level, everything he's ever done, dominate, dominate, dominate. He owned the field. He owned the situation. He owned the huddle. He was a runner. He was a throw. He did everything right. 
And then everything fell apart last year. He couldn't do anything right. So what they do? They went out, they got him more weapons this year. Christian Kirk is going to be a good weapon. But they got him a new coach, and a new quarterback coach, and a new offensive coordinator. And this isn't one of those situations where, all right, the, the coach was just a bad coach, right? All right. Matt Nagy's just a bad coach, okay? So Justin Fields is gonna is gonna be okay because he's just a bad coach. But Urban Meyer was historically bad, Tim. Urban Meyer, all the stories coming out, he's kicking guys on the field. He wasn't around. He would tell Lawrence the wrong play calls. I mean, he was he, he stunted his growth. I think just by sheer just by sheer looking at who he's going to be able to take on and what he's going to have. He's got Travis Etienne back. He has a new coaching staff. Wilson is has a shot, but it's the Jets, okay? And I don't think they got him enough. Lance has a shot because he's got the best team around him, but they're still a running team first. Fields, I, I like the improvement. I think he's a little behind. Jones might have the best record. Mills has a lot to work with, but Lawrence is in a division where he gets to play Houston twice. Lawrence is in a division where, you know, look, at the end of the day, they're going to let Lawrence throw the ball all day to try to keep up with Tennessee. They're going to let Lawrence throw the ball all day to try to keep up with Indianapolis. They're going to let him fire away. He's the guy. So I'm going to go with Lawrence because of opportunity more than anything else. I think Lawrence, too. I like Doug Peterson being there. I think that's huge, huge. Look, it's not. I can't even say upgrade over what he had. It's just, It's light years better. And I'm with you. He's always been a winner. So that little bit of um, dirt that he had to pick himself off the ground time after time last season, I think he's using that motivationally in year number two and learning from, from his rookie mistakes. Look, they all had him, even even Lawrence, who never lost in any level until he got to the NFL, right? It's, it is what it is. So I think Lawrence – and I like – look, I'm going to go back to the well with Mac Jones. I, I think he's, he's solid right up there. And as long as Belichick's involved with Mac Jones, I think that's always something that we should look at. And I know this, the the quote-unquote Tommy superstars aren't there, but he made the playoffs last year without superstars. So I think Mac Jones another year wiser makes him a viable number two for me. I, from there, I really – you can mix and match them. So I'll go Lawrence and then and then uh, Mac, Mac Jones. Well, Tim, I, I know you said uh... – Everybody thinks we're a betting show, and that's that's my fault because everything else I do at Sports Garden Network is strictly betting shows, and uh, that that's what I am, and that's what I do. But I want to bring this up to give a little validity to anybody questioning my my Trevor Lawrence. I just looked it up while we were talking because we didn't talk about this moment before time, and I thought it would be interesting to find out what about MVP odds for second year quarterbacks. Well, Trevor Lawrence at eighty to one, he's leading the way. He's at second twenty second best odds among leagues uh, quarterbacks to win the MVP, but he's number one among any second-year quarterback. So there's no good odds for any of them, but Trevor Lawrence is there for that big second-year jump. And tw- you know, 22 guys in front of him is not a huge field when we're talking about it, but he is number one. So I, I think that the Vegas sports books agree with us, Tim. And it's not necessarily wrong of us to think, like, what was Joe Burrow's odds his beginning his second year, Tom, right? Yes. And I so, think, you know, and I think people forget, we are in a society and it's, uh, this isn't my, my, you know, get on my soapbox rant, but we are, we're in a society that wants immediate results. We can't even watch a movie anymore because we have, you know, 
TikTok. You know what I mean? Like that's what we're, we've gone down to. So they want immediate results. People forget how good Trevor Lawrence really was. People forget, wow, hold on a minute. This guy was that dynamic. And a lot of it, look, he, he made a lot of his own mistakes. I'm not going to say he didn't. Well, but you forget when you're not looking at a guy all the time, you tend to forget how unbelievable and how really good a, guy, a player was. I talked about that before the baseball year this year, Tim. People forgot how good Mike Trout really was. Well, people forgot how good Trevor Lawrence was. It would not shock me at all to watch Trevor Lawrence finish in the top 10 in the MVP book. I don't think he wins, but it wouldn't shock me to see him finish in the top 10 because he has those kind of skills and he can take that kind of jump. NFL football, we're, we're what, a little over 60 days away, Tom, from week one and your return. Finally, Tom Barton will return to Las Vegas. I, I feel I have some mixed emotions, Tim. I, I feel almost uh, almost like I'm not going to recognize but I went, and for people that don't know me, you know, since I, I the first time I was ever in Las Vegas, I was 19 years old. From the point where I was 21 years old, okay, until – what, three years ago, right? So 21 years old until 41, we'll say 20 years. I was going to Vegas 10 times a year, staying a week or two at a time. I, it wasn't like short visits. I, I stayed an extended time. I basically stayed there for 90 days at one point, right? Um, I mean, I was there all the time. The shortest I think I was ever there is when my son was born and I was, uh, I only went like three or four times that year. I was there all the time and I haven't been because of obviously the pandemic and everything else with the, some of the ridiculous laws that they passed. I haven't been in a couple of years. So for me to return, I, I'm, I'm almost out of place thinking about it. You know, you usually get hyped up for, for a, a place you get hyped up for a vacation or something like that. For me, I'm like, man, I, I gotta, I gotta kind of readjust. Vegas is such a changing town. It's not like I'm going to walk in and know everything. It's kind of like a new adventure here for me. Especially, because, like you said, we had the pandemic, but then we also ran into Atlantic City, right? That was a place you, you were able to go to and, and see how the, the world has changed as far as sports betting. And I'm interested to see your return to Vegas and, and sitting in these same casinos years later, if there's a, if there's a big change or a big difference. Yeah, it's going, to be, uh, it's going to be interesting because I have been all over the country now looking at the casinos and... I'm a sports book guy. I love to sit in the sports book. I can hang out there all day long. Um, you know, you're, you're running to the, the couple of guys. You know, when I go down to, to Atlantic City, I always, uh, this is now the second time I've done it, hung out with uh, Bill Crack, you know, uh, for hours and hours and hours. And me and him were pretty much the only ones sitting in there consistently the entire tournament. Yeah. You, you, you have a familiarity with the guys that you know. I haven't been to Vegas for so long. I'm not going to really know any guys. I mean, I'll, I'll try to you know find Jay Cornegy to say hello and things like that. Uh, but I don't have my my regular people to kind of hang out with. Um, it's going to be an interesting scenario. I know I, I owe Rob Misha dinner. I'm definitely going to get that done. That That's for sure. Uh, I want to make sure that I go uh, and, and grab a couple of different people that I have to jump around town. Uh, Mr. Sports Big Consigliere. Yeah, I got to go have a, a dinner with him as well. Well, I'll be basically hanging out with you every day. Um, I, I There are a couple of stops, you know, you have to make. You and Chris Wynn are number one and two, but we do have a couple of different people. But it's not the same. Sometimes you walk into a casino, and you know this, Tim. You walk into a sports book, 
and you see friends, and I say friends with air quotes on radio, so there you go. There's my radio chops. But you see friends. You don't know even their names, really, but it's the same dude you bet with. It's the same kind of guys. I go to Atlantic City. I see the same guys, same talking, same conversation, same jersey, same everything. I don't have that in Vegas, and I used to. Forget about the fact that I don't have a waitress anymore. I used to have my, my bartenders I knew, uh, my, my waitresses I knew. I, I had the town locked down, Tim. Now all of a sudden I got to start from new, like I'm a newbie? I'm going to be using uh, drink tickets, Tim? Come on. Yeah, I'm excited. I haven't seen you in what? I haven't seen you in almost three years now. That that's three years. That's crazy. And we are going to take up a couple of games. Yes, yes. Yeah, I'd like to go see the new uh, Fifty One Stadium. I'd like to go check that out. And um, yeah, I mean, we were talking about me not being there for opening day and maybe getting to a a Raiders game uh, on the same kind of time as the Vegas Knights game, but I just don't think that's going to happen. It's okay. I'm working on the remote, so hopefully everything is back. I mean, the city, you'll see, is as bad as the inflation is, if people want to complain about as bad as, as the country is, if people want to complain about it, doesn't seem to affect people coming here. So it's going to be a wild, wild weekend. And I'm working on the remote for us right now to have it on the Las Vegas Strip. So we, we had that booked and ready to go, I want to say, for – I forgot now it was we were set to go and and we we just couldn't do it so that was this, for March Madness wasn't it that was for March you are correct yeah this is a it's going to be a bigger deal though so we will take our final time out here on a Sunday night and we'll talk Major League Baseball when we return trade deadline possibilities and a nice little base brawl today in Anaheim we might might have to talk about that a little bit as well it's Heat Wave Sports it's Fox Sports Radio. I can't believe you asked that. I really can't believe it. Let me see here. Kentucky Wildcats, number four in the country. I'm hearing four first-round draft choices. And you're asking me how that got away from me? They're the big blue. You ought to know that. I'm not mad at you. Now back to Heat Wave Sports. Here's Tim Unglesby and Tom Barton. I'm going to close out tonight's show with a little... Major League Baseball talk. Real quick, Mississippi State, your college World Series champions. Tommy, at one point, early, I think, honestly, it's either early in the season or right before, they were 40 to 1 to win the College World Series. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I, If anybody's never gotten into it, you got to get into the College World Series. It is a just a crazy, crazy atmosphere. I would say, from the atmosphere standpoint, Tim, it is – this is how I would explain the College World Series to anybody. I go, oh, you know, I, I don't love baseball. Listen, even if you don't like baseball, it is college football atmosphere with a March Madness vibe. That's really what it is. It is crazy what these people do. I mean, just the watching the fans in the stands is, is nuts. They're crazy. And it's a lot of fun. It really is a lot of fun. And I told you I said that Disney World is on my bucket as is the College World Series. I don't know if I'll ever get to the College World Series. So it's something that I enjoy watching uh, during each summer. You know, it's it's two, two of my landmarks, non-Major League Baseball, baseball-related sports. So College World Series in June, and then I get the Little League World Series in August, Tom. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. I have never done the Little, Little League World Series or the College World Series. That is a bucket list thing for me, too. When we retire, Tim, right? 
uh, 20 years when we retire, we'll go, we'll go drive the country and do the college world series. You got a deal, sir. You got a deal. We got a trade deadline coming up here for major league baseball. It's quicker than you think it would be. You look at a date and you're like, ah, oh, I still got time. Not really. Because a lot of times now it becomes jockeying and, and uh, the names that come out. So I know you spent a, a good amount of time last night talking about this for people who may not have listened to the show and are tuning in tonight. What what are we looking at here? You know, as far as big names going down the pike here, is Luis Castillo really going to be the biggest name that's available at the trade deadline? Yeah, I, I think Castillo is going to get the biggest attention, but I mentioned it last night, you know, Luis Castillo, if you miss out on him, Frankie Montas is not a bad consolation prize, right? He's not a bad guy to kind of go grab as that secondary guy. If you, if you swing and you miss on Castillo, Tyler Molly is getting a lot of recognition right now as well. Cole Irvin can help a staff that's looking for kind of innings. And you start to look at the teams that are really in this thing, Tim. And this is one of the things I mentioned last night. Um, it's a seller's market. From a pitching standpoint, sure, you got those those couple of guys. You have a lot of bullpen guys. I think David Robertson could be on the move. Daniel Bard could be on the move. Uh, you have a couple of, of those kind of players. I had a guy on my show today, our Rotomill fantasy expert, um, who has intimate knowledge of the Boston Red Sox and the Los Angeles Dodgers, and he thinks that both of them could be in in line for a closer. He mentioned maybe the Yankees getting rid of Aroldis Chapman uh, because of how desperate the Dodgers are for some pitching. Seems like strange bedfellows to me, but that could be interesting. And then you have the hitters, and the hitters kind of go by the wayside. I mean, you got Charlie Blackman, everybody in Kansas City, Whit Merrifield, Anthony Benintendi will both be available. If somebody wants to shell out for Brian Reynolds, uh, David Peralta, maybe a Josh Bell. Nobody really goes crazy here, Tim, but someone's going to overpay. And the teams right now, we're in a, an interesting situation where the teams right now um, that are making a push for the World Series, we can say, are getting hit with injuries. The New York Yankees just keep getting injury after injury, right? I mean, their bullpen is shocked. Labor Torres was walked off the field today. Uh, Kiner Falefa, maybe not the answer. Josh Donaldson's being benched. Aaron Hicks isn't getting it done. I mean, as good as they look, there's a lot that can tinkering that could happen. The Dodgers lost Blake Trinan. The Dodgers just lost Hudson last night. They have got to go get bullpen help. But I don't even trust that rotation right now. You look like that. Obviously, you look at them, you go, they're going to probably need some arms. Um, you start to, to break down Philadelphia, who to me jumps to the forefront. And this is why I talked about it last night. I want to get your opinion. How I set it up last night, Tim, because I, Bryce Harper went down and right before time, they said he might be out for the season. It looks like it's going to be two to three months, but we don't know. He could be out for the year. To me, the Philadelphia Phillies were the number one team that told us they were going to be aggressive buyers. They told us this. Because their team was about 500, and they fired their manager because they're in win-now mode. They have Wheeler. They have Nola. They spent on Castellanos. They spent on Schwarber. They had an MVP candidate in uh, what Bryce Harper was doing. Philadelphia is going to make a push. They were going to be, to me, the most aggressive buyers on the market, bar none. They were going to go after this thing, and they have a couple of good guys in um, Bell and Painter. They, they could even go get rid of their, their failing Shortstop, right? Bryson Stott. They can they can do a lot of things. Alec Bohm could be out of town. They were going to be the, the big-time buyers without question, and they told us that by firing their manager. So, Tim, I want to ask you, though, does this make them more aggressive that they lose Bryce Harper, or do you think that they might pull back now and be like, look, 
just not going to be our year. We're nine games back of the Mets, two games back of the wild card. We, we now are looking at an extended absence without Bryce Harper, who is carrying our offense. Do they pull it back or do they become the buyers? They're two out of the wild card, right? Yes. But I think they're they, two out of the wild card looking up at like five teams. Right, right. I, I don't know. I, I would say, and the timetable for Bryce is late, what? Late August, early September? Unless he needs surgery, which they don't know yet. Yeah. If there's a chance he comes back, I think they go. They go for it. And it's you know it's a fine line because you're not replacing his bat per se right you're just going to try to make up make up what you're losing somewhere somehow or and i don't think they change the philosophy and, and just try to go pick up the arms and play a different style of baseball so i guess the question becomes who would you be looking at to replace or try to get close to replacing what you're going to lose in price and i don't know if that's available out there tom that's the problem so it's a it's a tough spot to be in for sure. I don't know. That's that's a great question. I would say you want to go for it, but if a you know he's not coming back at all, or b you just don't really see a capable bat. Benintendi is not a guy that's replacing Bryce Harper, so maybe you do fold it in, or maybe you look at unloading some of those contracts you have sitting there and, and uh, re- reevaluating the team in the offseason. That's what I'm saying. If it's such a seller's market right now, Tim. You know, you got to be a realist as well in Philadelphia and be like, even with Bryce Harper healthy, I don't think we win the World Series this year. You know, you, you have to have a little self-evaluation. And like you said, Ben and Tendy, Whit Merrifield, Blackman, I mean, even Josh Bell, they're not replacing what Bryce Harper is going to do. And my thing is this is on Philly, and this is what I touched on last night and why I really got into the trade conversation even over a, more than a month out. Tim, they have to make a, a move soon. Philly can't wait. You can't hang around for two or three weeks here, Tim, hoping to see what your team's going to be. You either got to just, you know, you you know the expression, push the chips in or not kind of thing, right? I mean, you've got to either be aggressive and go all in and do it quickly or pull totally back. I don't think you can wait two weeks, see how the team responds and all that coach speak. I don't think you can do that. To me, they have to be aggressive or they're they're not going to be aggressive at all. So they might leak, kick off all these these trade scenarios and kind of get the thing rolling. But if they do decide to sell Tim, if they do decide to kind of unload this thing, they can really get a haul back big time and kind of start, I don't want to say the rebuild, but start the restocking. Because I'm looking at a team where Reese Hoskins is a nice player, but he's underachieving. Alec Boehm is a nice player, he's underachieving. JT Rulamuto is not producing like they thought he was going to. Gene Segura's on the back end of his career, probably shouldn't be starting anymore. Um, Bryson Stott looks like a bust. I know it's very early, but he looks absolutely terrible out there. Didi Gregorius doesn't look like he should be a starter. Jorge Carmago uh, should not be a starter, right? Uh, Just flat out. Uh, Odubel Herrera should not be a starter right now. A lot of their team, Tim, is guys that they're not going to be here in a year or two anyway. So why not kind of restock? And when you go through the... Philadelphia Phillies, and you look at their minor leaguers and guys that are relatively close, Tim, you see arm, 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 arm. You might have a guy like Ortiz can contribute, but it's mostly arms. If you're in a developmental stage where you can go get rid of a Brad Hand and go get a bat, you go get rid of a Corey Knable, go get a bat. You could get rid of some of these guys that 
another team might be picking up. To me, if I'm Philly, I'm selling, man. Yeah, you convinced me. I think they they should be sellers. And and you're right. Even with Bryce, they were at best a playoff team, a wild card playoff team that lost in the first round. I think maybe you got lucky and Nola and uh, Wheeler and Eflin and those guys that put it together and you get in the second round. But past that, I, I just don't see it. So at this point, you become a seller. I, I saw the the newest updated supposed uh, trade candidate list. Is Xander Bogarts now pulled by Boston? He's no longer a guy that people are looking at? No, look, the, the Boston Red Sox, I talked about this on the show this morning. It's actually kind of funny. The Boston Red Sox uh, – Coming into today, went 14-4 and four in June and, and gained a half a game on the Yankees. The Boston Red Sox, over the last 45 games, Tim, have played 700 baseball. 700 baseball, they lost a half a game on the Yankees. So they're back in this thing, right? Um, but I did find that kind of funny. They're back in this thing. So Bogarts isn't going anywhere. I don't know what the hesitation is, but we saw the running on the wall. When they got Trevor Story, and Story said, I don't want to be a second baseman, and they signed them anyway. And then you look at pending free agents, and you go, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> Hold on. Pending free agents is Xander Bogarts. I mean, I, to me, the writing was on the wall. He was not going to be a Red Sox. I don't think they're going to trade him because I think that they think they have a chance this year. They have no chance, Tom. No <laughs> chance. Castillo, go back to Castillo real quick because he seems to be the guy. And, and now you've Well, real quick, Tim, Tim, because I know that you didn't hear the show. Let, let me just pause you before you get into Castillo. Mm-hmm. I want to tell the listeners as well what I said yesterday. This was not rumored. This was fact. When the New York Yankees tried to obtain Luis Castillo last year at uh, at this time, their asking price was Glaber Torres. Keep that in mind. Go ahead, Tim. <laughs> so now the big suitors for Luis Castillo, Mets, Padres. I guess the Dodgers have crawled into that discussion, right, Tom? That's the question is what is it going to cost you to get the number one or the proposed number one trade target on the market? And that's why I brought up the asking price, because that is the asking price. We know they thought last year, Glaber Torres, before Glaber Torres was having a bad year, remember, uh, they thought that he was going to be the guy. An all-star that many people thought was going to be the face of the Yankees was their asking price last year. So maybe the asking price came down a little bit this year, but still going to be astronomical. If I'm a team that is looking for any kind of situation here, Tim, any kind of pitching situation, there is no way in any way, shape, or form I'm looking at Luis Castillo. I'll settle for a Frankie Montas all day long. The thing with the Reds is they're going to be able to package a little bit. Look, to a team like the New York Mets, they probably don't need two arms because – you look at some of the guys, okay, you know, they a team like the Yankees probably don't need two arms, okay? But there are some teams out there that could use two arms. You can package Castillo and Tyler Molly, right? You're able to do that. The, the Reds can attach somebody else and then ask for the world. But you have to know when you're picking up that telephone to call about Luis Castillo, you better be able to talk about your number one prospect. I keep bringing up the Angels. To me, the Angels are a great partner. I think that the Angels, they have the farm system where they can deal from a position of strength there. They have had problems developing pitchers. Go get Luis Castillo and Tyler Molle on the Angels, and all of a sudden they're a playoff team. Right. 
And if the asking price is Joe Adele, then you have to do it. I, I think it has to be Joe Adele and more. You know, to me, it's Joe Adele and someone that's not contributing right now on the main roster. Yeah, absolutely, Tim. You have to do that. That's the thing. You know, you look at the teams that want to kind of make this push and might need them. The Yankees, are they giving up a Volpe? No. Are they giving up Jason Dominguez? No. So you're talking about secondary prospects. Even a Trey Sweeney, I don't think they go do that. Peraza, probably not. You know, the, the Reds were scouting a Warren who's not even a top 10 prospect for the Yankees. Well, he would be the second guy in the deal. Uh, I don't think the Yankees are, are in a position to do that. For the Mets, there's conversation that Alvarez, who is their young hitting prospect, he might be up this year for the Mets. So if the guy has a, a potential to contribute this year, you're not going to go trade him. And that's really who the Mets have. Maybe a Brett Batty potentially there. There's a lot of guys out there that are kind of, you know, hanging out in space that I know what the Reds are going to ask for. And the teams are going to just be very hesitant to give that up. So the Reds are in a tough spot because, yeah, your asking price is fine. Luis Castillo is under contract for two more years. He's cheap. He's young. He's a fireball. He could change the game. But you're, you're going to be asking for a ton of talent. The Dodgers make the most sense just because they can give up that talent. A lot of their talent is coming from the middle infield. You got a guy like an Eddie's Leonard. You got a guy like a Miguel Vargas uh, who plays you know, probably third base. But you have a lot of the same sort of position players. The Dodgers probably are going to be able to land Luis Castillo. And I know the baseball world will hate that. It has nothing to do with uh, that. Anything more than the Dodgers are willing to go for it in a way that every other team is kind of holding on to their prospects. All right, Tommy, got about three minutes before we got to start the wrap up. So I saw this pop up on, for Yankees, and we're gonna, you know, look. How do you how do you make a team that's already doing so well better? And this came out of NewJersey.com, so I don't even know the rep repability of this. But we obviously know the Yankees are set with. Judge Hicks and Stan in the outfield. Gallo has just been a bust so far. This was the two rumors, outfielders that could potentially land as a fourth in New York. Andrew Benintendi, Brian Reynolds, your thoughts? Uh, the Yankees have good dealings with the Pirates. They make a lot of trades. They, they have a very good front office situation. I'm intimately knowledgeable with Pittsburgh. They're asking for the world. They are asking for the absolute world. Um, the Yankees and them have done a lot of deals. Pittsburgh feels like they've lost a lot of those deals, specifically this Clay Holmes deal. So they're asking for too much. Reynolds isn't going to be it. Benintendi makes a ton of sense, a ton of sense for the Yankees, because not only um, would he be able to take over for Gallo, is he also, you can move Judge over to center and sit down Aaron Hicks if you wanted to with Benintendi there as well. I think Benintendi is a perfect player for the New York Yankees. He's a left-handed batter. It's exactly what they want. The problem is, again, I'm hearing that the asking price is astronomical. The one team that I had heard that checked in on him was the Boston Red Sox, and they asked the Boston Red Sox for their number two prospect. So here we go. What are the Yankees willing to give up? I, I, right now it's a seller's market because we're sitting here on June 27th. Talk to me 10 days before the trade deadline, and we'll see how, how tightly Kansas City is holding on to Andrew Benintendi. Trade deadline, August 2nd. So we're a little over a month away, like Tom said. And things will heat up here, especially right after the All-Star break, mid-July. And we'll start seeing, I think, some some bigger moves happen at that we're gonna point. Know, Tim, we're going to know about Philadelphia right away. We're going to know about Philly like like this week. If they don't make a move, 
then they're not making a big move. Right. No, I agree. I agree. Tom, let everybody know about the many, many platforms. Tom Barton Sports and Tommy Barton are on day, day after day, man. You're doing something every day. Yes, I am, guys. Go check it out. TomBartonSports.com, TomBartonSports.com, less than 100 bucks. I told you guys yesterday, went 2-0 yesterday. Well, I went 2-1 today. That's what you're going to get at TomBartonSports.com. It's consistency. It's only a couple of plays a day. Usually it's one or two plays a day. Today I wound up having three. Hey, I'm making money each and every day and for less than $100. So can you at TomBartonSports.com. I want you guys to all go check me out over on YouTube. It's Tom Barton Sports and Sports Garden Network. Hashtag SGN, all the stuff that I do there. Believe in betting as the podcast. The other podcast is Believe in the Ivy League for you Ivy League fans out there as well. Plus, the, the podcast that Tim absolutely loves. I know that you listen to Wagering Week every single week. So go check that out as well. Uh, guys, it's going to be a couple of weeks since I, I do see you uh, and we do talk to you. I think it's going to get real awesome. I think it's going to be a fun couple of weeks. Enjoy 4th of July out there, everybody. And if you're looking for something fun to do on 4th of July, go see the new Top Gun. It was absolutely great, Tim. I did see that myself. I agree. I, I loved it. I watched the first one before I went, and then I watched the second one. So it, it went, you know, it went together very well. I was, I was very happy with it, yes. Yeah, it's one of those feel-good movies and, and – uh, yeah, I know a lot of people don't have anything to do on 4th of July. We were talking about it earlier. Yeah, go see that. That's a good one to watch. Especially if you're a Yankee fan. You have no Yankee game to watch on 4th of July. <laughs> Tommy, talk to you in a couple weeks, man. Have a good one, everybody. Tom Barton. TomBartonSports.com. At Tom Barton Sports over on Twitter. For Ryan, Tim Muglesby, have a great 4th of July weekend. We'll talk to you in two weeks' time. As always, it's Heatwave Sports only on Fox Sports Radio Las Vegas, 98.9 FM, 1340 AM. Have a great sports week.